What famous city park has a secret code on its lampposts? <laughs> I love codes. Okay, and who is the unlikely presidential hero of homebrewers? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. <laughs> Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity with some fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. So you like secret codes, huh? That's right. You're always doing those kinds of... Yes. What is that thing you do? Cryptograms. Cryptograms, yes. 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 So what famous city park has a secret code on its lampposts? I'll give you clues here. Okay, good. Hyde Park in London. Uh-huh. Central Park in New York. Uh-huh. The Imperial Palace Gardens in Tokyo. Uh-huh. Or Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. Well, well, well. Which one has a secret code on all of its lampposts? Well, Bob, I'll take two for a thousand. Two is Central Park in New York. Yeah, no, I don't think it's that. I think it's, what were they? Hyde Park in London. Yeah, Hyde Park. I think it's Hyde Park. Well, you're wrong, Marcia. <laughs> it's Central Park <laughs> in New York. Right. Well, see, let's go with my first, okay? <laughs> so what's the code used for there? Do you know what the codes are all about? Uh, for certain kind of trees? No. No. Uh, uh, distance markers? No. Marking the killings? I don't know why. No, no. <laughs> it's a navigational system. Uh-huh. On each of those posts in New York City, in Central Park, is a secret code designed to help park workers find and repair the burnt out or broken lamps. There are four numbers on each luminaire, they call them. The first uh-huh. to identify the nearest cross street. Uh-huh. The second to identify the direction. Even numbers are east. Odd numbers are west. And the larger the second number is, the closer to the center of the park you are. Hello. <laughs> okay, all it's right. It's a secret code. Let's talk beer, making beer at home. Okay. Who is the unlikely presidential hero of home brewers? George Washington. <laughs> no. Oh, well, he did brew his own stuff, I believe. I believe he did. But after Prohibition, it was against the law to brew beer at home. Did you know that? It was after Prohibition? You yeah. couldn't make it at home? Yeah. But you could make it at home during Prohibition. No, uh, no, that was couldn't. against the law, yeah, too. Yeah, it was, but that law stayed in place. Okay, all right. And who was the president who got rid of it? Yeah. Richard Nixon. <laughs> nope. I, don't, I don't know who. Jimmy Carter. He's unlikely because didn't drink, and he banned it from the White House altogether. Oh, really? Yeah, no, no booze or liquor in there. He was the man who legalized I it. I didn't know that. That's why I'm asking. Well, why would he do that if he didn't believe in it? Why would he let people, you got, you go ahead, mm. have your own liquor at your home if you want to. I just don't want any here. What's the deal? How did he change it? He took the law off the books. Oh, so somebody had to have come up with the law and he signed it then, that's all. I guess so. Oh, okay. So he didn't really do it unilaterally. He didn't say, I say it's okay if you have it at your home, but not here. You know, I give you these these little jewels. All right. (laughs) Don't take advantage. He used to be a governor. I have a question about a governor. Oh, all right. What governor declared war against a foreign nation? A governor did that. A governor of a state in the 1830s. 1830s. He declared war against a foreign nation. Well, that took some kahunas, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. I am Massachusetts, and I'm going to war against uh, Germany. I don't know. Well, now, think about this. You probably have to be near a border with another country. 
Oh, Canada? Yeah, it could be Canada. Okay. Montana? No. No. New York? <laughs> no. You're in the right area. It's a very obscure little thing. I never heard this, okay. this fact before, but it was the governor of Maine. In the 1830s, he issued a declaration of war against the Canadian province of New Brunswick. <laughs> now, what was going on? <laughs> Apparently, there was a lot of uncertainty over the Maine Canadian border since the Treaty of Paris, which ended the Revolutionary War in 1783, and Canadian lumberjacks began to build a road along the disputed Aroostook River. Aroostook. And American lumberjacks moved in to stop them, so that started tensions. And Governor John Fairchild of Maine declared hostilities and mobilized the state militia, and the Aroostook War was bloodless. It ceased when President Martin Van Buren sent General Winfred Scott to arrange a truce in 1839. It was after the governor of Maine declared war on Canada. You don't want to be the little tiny state of Maine going up against a humongous country like Canada. <laughs> well, he's going after New Brunswick because right, uh, this province. Still, you know. the other territories would rally around Yes, it. I would I, think so. I would think so. Okay, Bob, who got the first job offer to command the Union Army? Oh, it was Robert E. Lee. Oh, I knew. What? I'm not surprised you know that. <laughs> yeah, he was considered the top guy. Obviously, Robert E. Lee would be our guy, you know. Yeah. And the top general said, no, I'm going to go for the other country. Yes, that I prefer. That was a big controversial thing he did. I prefer people who want to enslave human beings. Well, that was part what, of it. Yeah. But it was also his own state. You know, he was going to be loyal to Virginia. Yeah, but the Union Army encompassed the whole Obviously, South. he was on the wrong side of history, uh, Marcia. Yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And so our second big commander we know is Grant, but who was the first? Was it Winfred Scott? No, it wasn't. Oh, who was it? George Meade. General Meade. Oh, George Meade. Meade. Okay, General Meade. That's right. Yes. Yeah, he was in charge when Gettysburg took place. That's okay, correct. Okay, let me yeah. do another. Okay. Okay. The humongous fungus, Bob. <laughs> wow, the humongous fungus. Yes, that's what they call the largest mushroom on Earth. And it's located in Oregon's Malheur National Forest. Okay. Can you guess approximately how old or how big this thing is? This is the largest mushroom on Earth that we know of. Yes. The oldest mushroom on yes. Earth that we know of. Yes. Wow. So this must go back hmm, a thousand years, maybe? Mm. And it's probably really huge. Like, In acres. Yeah, Give me it's got to be like 100 acres or... Okay. Yeah, well, that's those are both great guesses. But it's 8,650 years old. Wow. That's an old mushroom. That's a very old mushroom. Not going to put that in my omelet. Me neither. And it occupies more than 2,300 acres of land. Wow. <laughs> Can you believe 2, that? 2,300 acres of land. So there's obviously a lot of other stuff growing out of this mushroom that you can't really see oh it's my, there or something, yeah. right? Can you believe it? Speaking of mushrooms, the most expensive mushroom is known as the caterpillar fungus found in Tibet, and it's nicknamed the Viagra of the Himalayas. Oh, oh really? Is it considered an aphrodisiac? <laughs> it is, and really? it sells. For, and it is, and it sells for fifty thousand dollars a pound. Just, Jeez! Just in case. Wow! You, you got to really want that. <laughs> All right. All right, speaking of food, okay. what popular soda is banned in Japan and in the European Union, and why? It's one of our famous brands of soda in the United States. Is it Coca-Cola, Mountain Dew, Pepsi, or A&W root beer? It's banned in what country? It's banned in Japan and by the European Union. Really? Is it root beer, A&W? No. Uh, 
Uh, what are the Dr. Pepper? No, not one of the choices. Oh, I, <laughs> <laughs> it's Coca-Cola, Mountain Dew, Pepsi, or A&W root beer. I'll say Mountain Dew. Then. Mountain Dew it is. Okay. So why is it banned in Japan and Europe? Because it's doo-doo. I don't know. It has something in it. Oh, uh, electrolytes. It's got brominated vegetable oil in the formula. Now, that sounds safe, brominated vegetable oil, What's but it is a flame retardant. Oh. <laughs> it's oh, outlawed in those countries. Oh, and yet... We drink it. It's also found in Gatorade and Powerade. Now, some consumers in the U.S. have asked for the ingredient to be eliminated from the drinks, but a spokesperson for Gatorade said brominated vegetable oil acts as an emulsifier. It spreads the flavor evenly across the drink. And the spokesperson pointed out that the ingredient has not been banned by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, but you cannot find Mountain Dew in Japan or the European Union well, because of that. I'll the keep flame that in retardant. Mind. Wow. It's cool. Keep I like this mind. cool flavor. Why is it? It's got a flame <laughs> retardant in it. That's why. Oh, my. So you cannot set yourself on fire with your drinking, drinking it. This. Exactly. That's right. What's unusual, Bob, about the paradise tree snake found in Southeast Asia? The paradise tree snake? Yes. Is it because it doesn't actually go into a tree? It can't be up in a tree? No, that's not oh, it. Oh, okay. So what's unusual about mm-hmm. the paradise tree snake? Mm-hmm. It's a snake in a tree. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's not really that unusual, is no, it? Snakes no, go up trees. No, but it has some peculiar trait that other snakes don't have. Is it about something it eats or the way it no, behaves? It behaves. It behaves in a different way. Like a bird. It flies. <laughs> yeah. Does it really? <laughs> really. Oh, tell me. <laughs> it flies. It's also called the paradise flying snake. Oh, you left that out. That would have well, been a clue. <laughs> <laughs> so unfair. This species of serpent is both slim and agile. <laughs> it's interesting. Anyway, a highly capable climber, paradise tree snakes prefer to spend most of their time hanging out in coconut palm trees. Well, okay. And when the flying snake wants to travel between the treetops, it flies. It's able to flatten its ribcage until it becomes concave. Wow. And at this point, the snake can propel itself out of a tree and glide through the air. So it's like a flying squirrel. It doesn't have wings to fly, but it jumps and it propels and... Turns into a a slithering S-shape. Slithering S-shape. That just sounds dangerous as it is, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes, it does. All right, Marcia, dance, 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 all right? Dance, little man, dance. Every state has, uh, you know, flags. They've got uh, official animals, official songs. What is the most common official U.S. state dance? I'm going to give you a lot of choices here to choose from. Well, give me three. Is it ballroom dancing, tap dancing, square dancing, swing dancing, or break dancing? What is the most common official U.S. state dance? Same again. Is it ballroom dancing, tap dancing, square dancing, swing dancing, or break dancing? I was going to say polka, but I guess it's not on the list. I will say break dancing, that's too much for most of us. That's right. I'll say um, the first one. Ballroom dancing. Yeah. That's a good one. I would think that because yeah, that's, that's more common for most everybody people. everybody can do. But it's not the most common. And how many states do you think have official dances? I'll say four. Four. No, 30 of the 50 states okay. have official dances. And the most popular official state dance is square dancing. Oh, really? It's everywhere. California, Connecticut, Colorado, Idaho, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Mississippi, Nebraska, New Jersey, North Carolina, North Dakota, 
Oklahoma, Oregon, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Virginia, and Washington State all have square dancing as their official dance. And just in case you wondered, Marsha, polka is the official state dance here in Wisconsin. Oh. <laughs> polka. And that does not surprise me. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Uh, isn't that funny? Yeah. Now, there are other ones, too. Delaware has maypole dancing. That goes back to the uh, yeah. Druids or something, yeah. you know, <laughs> the Druid times. Uh, let's see. Western Swing is also a state dance in a couple places. And Texas, which also claims square dancing, has swing dancing. Kentucky has clogging. <laughs> North Dakota has clogging, shag, and square dancing. And South Carolina has shag and square dance. There's a lot of different dances. These are from the State Symbols USA website. And at TravelTrivia.com had some of that stuff. I thought it was kind of fun, but I had no idea. You know, I always think of square dancing as more of a rural kind of a yeah. southern thing. Have you or, ever? Oh, yeah. Me too. You know, that was what we did in high school. That's the first dances. Really? Oh. They had square dancing, and I loved it. Oh. I loved it. And as a freshman, I got to dance with a sophomore. We're still friends. Of course All you are. All these years later, of yeah. Of course you are, Perry Bob. Smith, Perry Darnold oh, was my square dance all partner. All right. All right. Enough. Your long list of women. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, how do we know that anyone can be elected president? Well, there's a good answer to that and a bad answer, probably. Let's consider that after we take a break. <laughs> okay. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. We'll be back in just a moment. I kind of left the building there for a minute. <laughs> We're back. Ah. And Marcia had an interesting question I there. Do, but first, and I did, yes. we just want to let you know we do this show every week for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, which has one of the only internet radio stations in a library in the United States. In and the world. We're on Monday nights on that, and then we go out over the podcast platforms and are heard. In the world. Thank you, Marcia. <laughs> All right, now your question again. How do we know that anyone can become elected president? Well, because the Constitution. It doesn't well, have okay. any real oh. qualifications. There's just age, this is basically. Not, well, here's a clue. This is more of a little trick question. Oh, I see. Of course. This. Okay, here's a clue. All right. Jefferson did it, Nixon did it, and Truman did it. They all did it. Right. They did what? Became president. Yeah. Which shows you that any Tom, Dick, or Harry can do oh, it. Oh, <laughs> dear Lord. Did we actually fall for that just now? I can't. I'm so disappointed in myself. Oh, indeed. Oh, my God. Okay. Only two first ladies, Bob, have been both wife of a president and mother of a president. Who were they? You should know. Um, it's uh, John Adams and um, his wife. What was her name? Her name was originally Smith, but I don't think she was related to me. Um, John Adams and his wife. Uh-huh. That's the question. Two first ladies. Just give me a moment here. For the record, that was Abigail Adams. Abigail, that's right. There you and, go. And the other one? Come on, Bob. Oh, it's got to be Barbara Bush. Yes, very good. Her husband was George Bush uh -huh. Sr., and George Bush Jr. was her son. Correct, yeah. correct. All right, I got it. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, what is the newest island on Earth, Marcia? Where is it? Uh -huh. It's only about, uh, it's less than 10 years old here. Is it in the Philippines? Is it in American Samoa? Is it in the Bahamas, Tonga, or Iceland? Well, well, Bob, I will say Tonga. You got it. Yes. You're absolutely right. Yes, I'm so knowledgeable that way. Islands often result from volcanic eruptions, and the world's newest island is in Tonga in the South Pacific, and TravelTrivia.com reports that in 2014, a new island formed northwest of Tonga's capital of Nukulofa, 
after a massive eruption. That eruption caused rock and ash to pile up on the ocean floor, piling high enough to reach the surface of the sea, and it created a brand new island. I remember, what year was that? That was 2014. It hasn't been officially named, just in case it returns to the ocean floor. We could name it the off-ramp. It's been here long enough to see plants and wildlife take to it. But it's a large black mass, 1.25 miles in length, half a mile wide, has a 300-foot mountain at the center, located within the Pacific Ring of Fire. I think off-ramp would be a good name for it. (laughs) Just a little branding out there. It's good to wait and see if these islands stay around because another one, another, a huge volcanic eruption in 2019, that's the one you're remembering at Tonga. Oh. That formed an even newer island. And it's gone already. And it's already disappeared. Oh, well, then I was accidentally correct. Yes, you were accidentally correct. All right. You've been intentionally and accidentally correct on this show (laughs) so far in this episode. Amazing. Yes. Okay. Speed round for you and our listeners. Quickly name the city that have inspired these nicknames. Okay. 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 And let's see how many you can get. You all should right. know most of them, but I don't think all. Okay. Okay. These the, are around the world. No. No. These United are United States? States. Okay. The Big Apple. New York City. Windy City. Chicago. Beantown. Boston. City of Brotherly Love. Philadelphia. The Mile High City. Denver. The Big Easy. New Orleans, or Norlands, as my friends call it down there. The heart of bluegrass country. Uh, Let's see, would that be Nashville? Or am I thinking of, oh, gosh, let me see. That's a good one. Is that Memphis? Nope. Oh, I'm too down. Yeah. Is it in Arkansas? No, it's Lexington. Lexington, Kentucky? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. That's the heart of bluegrass country. The heart of bluegrass. I didn't know that either. I am so sorry. And Jenny Ussel will be so disappointed in us. (laughs) And and Bruce Buren, too. Oh, is he there, too? (laughs) Yeah, they're from Kentucky. Motown. Motown, that's uh, Detroit, of course. The entertainment capital of the world. That has to be Los Angeles. Correct. Big D. Dallas. Music City. Nashville. The Golden Gate City. San Francisco. You got them all. Oh, good. Except the heart of bluegrass country. Oh, Very good. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. All right. Marsha, right. have a question. How did Cleopatra win a bet to drink $1.5 million worth of wine in one sitting? <laughs> well, my, my. That is uh, hard to comprehend. All right. It must have been a Must have been one of those games vin- that lovers play. A really good vintage. Uh, they were I, very rich lovers. Yeah. Who would be the person? The king of something. No, Cleopatra. She was age 30. Her new lover, Mark Antony. Anthony, Richard Burton to most of us. <laughs> she said that she could drink what would be $1.5 million worth of wine without leaving the table, and he accepted that offer. Okay. And he lost because Cleopatra dropped two pearls worth 10 million sesteria into a glass of wine. That made it $1.5 million worth of wine. Oh, Just so, having those so, two pearls oh, in it. So she, she drank the wine. The, and she drank the pearls down? I don't think she drank the pearls. Oh, okay. She just had to drink the wine. Oh. She flirtatiously dropped the pearls in it and drank. Who knows how the celebration went after that? That's, that's sort of like any Tom, Dick, or Harry. There's a little <laughs> trickery there. There is. Okay, I got another question. This is involving uh, food, okay? Okay. What country consumes more mac and cheese per capita? Is it the United States, the United Kingdom, Canada, Norway, or could it be France? France. No, it's not Not France. Not the U.S. No, it's not the U.S. It is Denmark. Well, that would be one to choose, but that's not on the list. list. No. (laughs) The United States, the United Kingdom, Canada, or Norway. One of those consumes more mac and Norway. cheese. No, Marcia. 
This makes up for all of your good wins so far in this episode. Just get on with it, Bob. Okay, the answer is Canada. The Food Network reports that Canadians consume 155% of what U.S. eaters eat in terms of Kraft macaroni and cheese. They need comfort food up there in Canada. Yeah, well, I, I was thinking it where it gets cold, you need comfort food. It's chili and mac and cheese. It's so popular in Canada that the Montreal factory where it's made works around the clock no to meet kidding. demand, and hmm. 7 million boxes of Kraft mac and cheese are sold globally each week. Canadians consume 1.7 million of those boxes. Wow, wow. And they call it Kraft Dinner up there. That's the name. It's not mac and cheese. It's Kraft Dinner. But we think of it as mac and cheese. Yeah, yeah, we do. Okay, Bob, where is the only royal palace on United States soil? Well, I would think that would have to be the only state that was once its own country with a king or a queen, and that would be Hawaii, right? You are correct, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Downtown Honolulu, Lolani Palace. You can actually visit it today. Yes. Yeah. We, we saw it. We didn't go in it, did we? No, I don't believe we did. No. It's uh, the home of Hawaii's 19th century royal dynasty. After King David rose to power in 1874, he elected to tear down the deteriorating coral block building that housed his predecessors and he erected an ostentatious... Beautiful palace. <laughs> ...new home in style that reflected the grand palaces he had visited touring Europe. Hmm, okay. It only served him as a home for 10 years, a decade before we came over and took it all away. Okay. <laughs> all right, uh, speaking of leaders, let me ask you this. What famous president was suffering from a disease when he gave an important speech, although he didn't know it at the time. It was not a debate where one of the candidates actually had COVID, which we had recently. It wasn't that. This was a speech that a U.S. president gave, and he actually was suffering from a disease when he gave it, but he didn't realize it at the time. I don't know. Abraham Lincoln. Oh, what did he have? Well, he was suffering from a mild case of smallpox when he delivered oh, really? the Gettysburg Address. Yeah, his he was illness. Too tall to he, have small. Pops. His illness. That's true. His illness wasn't discovered until he returned to Washington from the ceremony dedication in November of 1863. You're right. Smallpox, a tall man, and yeah, a smallpox just, just doesn't fly. <laughs> All right, Marcia. The first private railroad car was built for what famous person? Now, this wasn't a politician, a king, a president. The first private railroad car was built for an entertainer. Oh, really? Some very popular one? She was the Taylor Swift of her day. Oh, it... Huh? She was known as the Swedish Nightingale. Huh? Jenny Lind. I don't know who that is. Oh, Jenny Lind. She was a sensation back in the 1850s when you were younger. I don't know why you remember that. <laughs> <laughs> She's another example of an old adage that from humble beginnings can come great things. She was an illegitimate child. She became an international singing sensation. When she came to the United States, she was touring, and somebody built a private railroad car for her, and it was the first time anybody ever had that. Very cool. So it was an entertainer had the first private railroad car. Wow. Sorry you didn't know her. <laughs> Jenny Lind. <laughs> so I'm ready with a quote unless you have some other thing you want to add. I have another one for you. Okay. What famous American auto pioneer once worked for Thomas Edison? Thomas Edison employed this man for was a time. It, was it Ford? Because they were good pals. Yes, it was Henry Ford. Yeah. Yeah. He was 26. He took a job with Detroit's Edison Electric Company, the Edison Illuminating Company. 
And it was while he worked 10-hour days at Edison that he would return home at night to tinker with this new idea for a car in his garage. And th- those became lifelong friends. They vacationed together and everything. Right. They, uh, they so he were... was his employer at one point. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, Bob. Well, you know how I, I usually end with a couple of quotes or something, but today I'm going to give you a few lines from some famous American poems and see if you can name the poem and or the writer, the poet. And for a gold star, in, in your case, a bowl of graham crackers and milk, uh, <laughs> you name both, okay? Okay, okay. All right, here we go. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary. Oh, dear. Is that... Longfellow? Nope. Okay, I don't know. I don't know who that is. Okay, who is it? The Raven. The Raven. It's Ed- um, Okay, so then that would be Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe. That's it. <laughs> okay, that's right. That's right. Of course that made sense. I uh-huh. thought I've heard that in school, I remember. Yes, yes. You've heard all of these I probably in school. Okay. By the shores of Gitchigumi, <laughs> by the shining big sea water. That was the uh, Hiawatha, right? Song of Hiawatha. By, um, is there a street named after him nearby our house? Not that I know of. A okay. school. What's the name? Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Oh, there's Longfellow. Okay, I was <laughs> I, had, I had the wrong guy earlier. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so far you haven't won a graham Gitchy cracker. Gitchigumi. That's right. Isn't that a funny okay, thing? Okay, here it is. Quote, because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me. What? Yeah. This is a famous poem? Yeah. American poem? Yeah. Because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me. Uh-huh. Okay, who's that? That wacky jokester, Emily Dickinson. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> and the name of the poem is Because I Could Not Stop for Death. Wow, I don't... Uh, see, I'm not that familiar with Emily. Oh, yeah, well, that's why it's not very cheery. Okay, and here's another one. Okay. The outlook wasn't brilliant for the Mudville Nine that day. The score stood four to two with but one inning more to play. Casey at the bat. Who wrote it? I don't know. (laughs) But you're right about the name. Yeah. It was Ernest Lawrence Thayer. Famous, famous baseball poet. Uh Uh-huh. Story. Yeah. The score stood four to two. It's a great one. Actually, it really is well-written. And, you know, if you ever go to see any oral interpretation person do it, it's... Uh Very fun to is, watch. Is it? Yes. I'd like to see it. Oh, it is. It's it's because you act it out. You uh-huh. Know? Yeah. A hush came over the crowd, <laughs> you know, all this stuff. Okay, I got two left. Okay. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Raisin in the sun. That's a famous book. Uh-huh. Uh, was it, I think it was called Raisin in the Sun, wasn't it? Or it was a the... famous movie, Raisin in the Sun. Yeah, but there was a play it was taken from. Yeah. And I don't know if the play was called Raisin in the Sun or I, not. I don't know. I think so. But this is a poem. This okay. Is where it started, Dream Deferred by Langston Hughes. Okay. Yes. And you said one more. Yep. It's my personal favorite from American poems. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep. Mm. But I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. Robert Frost. And miles to go before I sleep. Yes. Uh, stopping by the woods on a snowy evening. That's it. You yes. got it exactly. Oh, a bowl of graham crackers and milk for I you. I get that finally. It's such a beautiful piece. It I is. It's it. gorgeous. And it makes you, 
you feel like that snow is falling when oh, you yes. read that. Especially if you live where there's snow, you can so relate to that on yeah. any given night. Absolutely. Well, Bob, wrap it up. All right. Looks like that's it for today. We hope you've enjoyed our program, and we welcome you to participate, like some of the folks have given us uh, books. They sent us books recently and uh, have sent us questions. Just go to our website, theofframp.show, scroll all the way down to contact us, leave us information. And or send money. No, Marsh, we're oh. not going to do that. No. Okay. No, I told you no more of that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be greedy. <laughs> Contact us and you can send us your thoughts or a question or a comment. We would really appreciate it. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marsha Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia here on The, the Off Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin.